Well, good morning. I'm Camper Monday, Associate Pastor. Uh, it's my joy to open God's Word for you this morning. And as I was driving in this morning down uh, Jamestown Road, which I assume all of you did because that's the only way to get here, uh, I noticed a, and I've seen this sign from time to time over the last several weeks, but there, there's a big electronic sign just down the road. So if you were headed this direction, which would be, what, west, east, you know, I lose sense of direction. Anyway, headed that way behind me. You know, basically 35 miles an hour, strictly enforced. Okay, how do you respond to that sign? Uh, what, what, what is your relationship with traffic laws? Okay, uh, you know, traffic lights, stop signs, the big electronic sign just around the bend, speed limits. Do you see them as merely suggestions? Uh, do you totally disregard them? Do you say 35 miles an hour, I'm going to keep going 45, it'll be just fine? Uh, maybe you see that sign, you immediately obey. 35, I will hit it on the nose. I will obey all of these laws perfectly, or at least you try really hard, hard to. So what, what characterizes your relationship with traffic laws? Okay, what about with the Ten Commandments? What's your relationship with the Ten Commandments? Do you see them as merely suggestions? Uh, totally disregard them? Do you perfectly keep them? Or do you try really, really hard to keep all of them all the time? Do you see them as constraint? Or as freedom? Well, as, as you know, as I mentioned uh, last week, this summer, for the most part, uh, our sermons are coming out of the, the Pentateuch. Uh, the first five books of the Bible were in other places uh, in the Old Testament as well, but many of our sermons from the Pentateuch. And these first five books often referred to as the law. And then also, as you know, the summer during our education hour and is on display right over here with this, uh, this poster, uh, our intergenerational Sunday school class is taking a look at the Ten Commandments, a, a summary of God's law. And God gives his moral law, specifically the Ten Commandments, in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, and he does that on Mount Sinai. Well, I want to back up this morning one chapter to Exodus chapter 19 at the base of the mountain, uh, just prior to God giving the Ten Commandments to Moses. And if you are familiar with the book of Exodus, maybe you have studied it before, you know that it is a, a book about God setting his people free. Uh, it, it's about a life of freedom. And so the question that I want us to wrestle with this morning is this. Do the Ten Commandments have anything to do with a life of freedom? And so our text this morning is Exodus chapter 19, uh, verses 1 through 8. It's found on page 60, if you're using the Pew Bible. But let's take a moment to pray before we hear God's word. Our good and gracious God, you who have spoken, 
and spoken these very commands to us, spoken your word to us, we ask this morning that once again you would do that which only you can do, that you would open our eyes to see, that you would open our ears to hear, that you would open our hearts to understand and to receive, and that you would transform us by your grace, your gospel, your law, as we seek to follow you. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, hear the word of God from Exodus chapter 19, uh, verses 1 through 8. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to Moses out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on the eagle's wings, and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Verse 5. God says, if you obey me, if you obey my voice, if you keep my covenant. And then verse 8, the people respond. Yes, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We will do everything that the Lord says. Really? You're going to do everything that the Lord says? I mean... Do you believe them? I mean, this is the same Israel that has been complaining and disobeying God left and right ever since God rescued them from Egypt, set them free three months ago. For example, God told them to collect just enough manna for today. What do they do? They go out and they collect for today and tomorrow, just in case God wasn't true to his word. God told them not to gather manna on the Sabbath. This is a day of rest for you. I will provide enough on the day before for today and the Sabbath. What do they do? They go out on the Sabbath. These same people complaining, disobeying, and here, Exodus 19, they hear the word of the Lord and they say, Oh, we will do everything that the Lord has said. And he's about to give them the Ten Commandments. Now, some may be thinking, man, I'm glad that we don't live in those days. I'm glad we've got Jesus. Jesus took care of the law, and now we can just move on. 
So I don't have to worry about God's commands. Well, what does Jesus have to say about God's law? Here are just a couple of excerpts. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says to the woman called in adultery, Go and sin no more. Also in John, he says, Jesus says, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. In other words, if you obey my teaching, then you're my disciples. If you don't, then you're not. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom. And then this stunning statement from the lips of Jesus. You must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. You must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Do you feel the weight of that? Well, given that we're going to continue in the Ten Commandments during our education hour for the next few weeks, I I thought it's important that we begin to consider Jesus and the law, uh, Jesus' law and gospel. Uh, First, what is Jesus' relationship with the Ten Commandments? And then what is our relationship with the Ten Commandments? But before we consider those two questions, uh, another question. Have you ever been given a gift, a gift that ended up being far greater, far bigger, far more wonderful than you ever imagined? Uh, Does anyone know who J.M. Barry is? J.M. Barry. Anyone? He's a playwright. See a few of you. Uh, You'll probably know his famous work. He created Peter Pan. Uh, And in 1929, he gifted the copyright of Peter Pan to a children's hospital in London. A nice gesture, a a gracious gift, expected to uh, support this children's hospital for, I'm sure, tens of thousands of dollars for the next few years. But here we are nearly a hundred years later, and millions upon millions upon millions of dollars continue to pour in to support this children's hospital because of the gift of the copyright to Peter Pan. A gift far greater, far bigger, far more wonderful than could have ever been imagined. Well, the Ten Commandments are a gift like that, a gift to us. And Jesus makes that clear. Jesus talks about the Ten Commandments, and so what I want us to do is springboard from here, Exodus 19, at the base of Mount Sinai, uh, to Matthew chapter 5, on another mountain, where God once again would speak. And this is where Jesus delivers his famous Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, you'll find it on page 810, is where we'll be if you're using the Pew Bible, verses uh, 17 through 20. And in Matthew chapters uh, 5, 6, and 7, Jesus expounds the Ten Commandments. It shows that they are far greater, far bigger, far more wonderful than first realized. So let me read these verses from chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Jesus speaking. 
Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So again, what what is Jesus' relationship with the law? And what is our relationship with the law? So the first question, what is Jesus' relationship with the law? Well, look with me again, verses 17 and 18. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus makes clear that he does not do away with the law, that the law remains. And not only that, he says that he has come to fulfill the law. Now, what does that mean, that Jesus came to fulfill the law? Well, it, it, it means a lot, but, but here are just a few points to note. The law and the prophets, the entire Old Testament, point to Jesus. Jesus pointed this out on the road to Emmaus, to, the, uh, to the, the fellows that were traveling with him. All the scriptures, speaking of the Old Testament, they all point to me. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, saying, you are missing the point of the scriptures. Again, all of the Old Testament, they point to me, to Jesus. Every story whispers his name. Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And the promise that God would come near. The promise that God would come. Well, also, Jesus lived a life of perfect obedience to the law. Perfect obedience. And thus, perfectly fulfilled the law of God. Further, Jesus fills out the law, expounding it, as I just mentioned a moment ago uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. Additionally, Jesus himself is a fuller expression of the law, which he would later summarize as love God and love neighbor. The two tables of the law. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is a beautiful expression of what a love God, love neighbor person looks like. He perfectly reveals God's character, who God is. In fact, Jesus would say, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And Jesus delights in the law. He loves it. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. In other words, life for me is loving God and loving others. The very essence of the Ten Commandments. Now, Imagine with me for just a moment if we were all just like Jesus. 
Imagine if we were all, we all had lives marked by freely loving God and freely loving others. What, what if we all lived like that? No more alienation from God, no more bondage to ourselves and our own self-interests, no more conflict with one another, no more disharmony with creation. Imagine if we were all fully love neighbor, or I'm sorry, love God type people. If we were all love God type of people just like Jesus, single-hearted devotion to God, no doubts about his goodness and his love, freed from the idols that consume us of money and status and sex and power and possession, wholehearted trust in God, knowing that he would provide everything we need exactly when we need it. We would work with joy. When we rest, we would have true peace. Now imagine if we were fully love neighbor type of people, just like Jesus. Healthy relationships with parents, with siblings, children, friends, neighbors, colleagues. No more conflict, no more fights. Trust in one another. Trust between nations. We would be people of encouragement rather than filled with resentment and bitterness. Imagine universal flourishing, complete wholeness. Imagine unending delight. If we were all just like Jesus. The Ten Commandments as a way of life, a life of true freedom, because it's life as we were created to live. Just like a fish out of water is not truly free, it's free only when it lives as it was created to live. The same goes for us. If we were all fully love God, love neighbor people. Well, through faith in Jesus, that is where we are headed. And so now we taste it in part as we learn to live out our redemption. Okay, so that, that's just a brief look at Jesus and the law. There is a, a lot more that could be said. In fact, books have been written on it. But we need to move on and consider us in the law. So Jesus perfectly keeps the law, and Jesus also calls us to perfectly keep the law too. So our second question, what is our relationship with the law? Now, I realize that many of us, we often don't think of the Ten Commandments as being about freedom. So many times we can see them as constraint. How in the world could the, the Ten Commandments, their rules, how could they have anything to do with a life of freedom? You know, we, we can often view them a, a bit like Wally Cleaver in the old uh, black and white classic, uh, Leave it to Beaver. Uh, one of the shows I love to watch reruns of. It was black and white, of course, I had to watch reruns. Some of you saw it in prime time. Uh, all of you, I think, can still see it, Nick at Night uh, TV land. But I, I grew up watching those reruns of Leave it to Beaver. Um, and, and I remember Wally was the, uh, the teenage son, the older brother of, of Beaver. Uh, Wally's mom and dad, Ward and June. And, and I loved when Wally and his uh, friends, Eddie and Lumpy and some of the other guys, they'd be going out, teenage boys going out. And Mrs. Cleaver would often say, 
Now, boys, be good. Don't get into any trouble. And I loved what Wally would, would say. Okay, Mom, we'll have fun another time. <laughs> and, and as I think about that, I realize so often we don't see God's commands as a gift. We think, think that he's out to spoil our fun. And when we do that, we miss the point. And so back to the question at hand, what is our relationship with the law? Well, look again with me, uh, Matthew 5, let's uh, look at verses 19 and 20. Jesus says, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom. Jesus is clear that there is no relaxing, no compromising of the law. And he's emphatic that we not only keep the law, but that we teach others to do the same thing. And then that startling statement. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom. What? Entry into the kingdom is based on a righteousness surpassing the scribes and Pharisees. What, what is, what's Jesus talking about? I mean, on the one hand, if we think about it, if anyone lived clean, moral lives, it was the scribes and Pharisees. In fact, one commentator says this, they were famous for their righteousness. Was not obedience to God's law the master passion of their lives? In fact, these religious leaders had figured out that the Old Testament contains 248 commands and 365 prohibitions. They set out to keep them all. How could anyone's righteousness exceed that? And is, is Jesus speaking about salvation by, by works, by good deeds? Or is Jesus speaking about something else? Another kind of righteousness. Well, when I was a young boy, besides uh, watching Leave it to Beaver, I, I got in trouble a lot. Uh, and I, I quickly learned, and, and I know lots of young boys get into trouble all the time, and I think most of us have learned these two words. They're, they're two words that either get us out of trouble or they really help to lessen the consequences. I'm sorry. You know, you always keep those in the back pocket. You get caught red-handed by mom and dad. I'm sorry. I'm, I, I'm sorry. Mom, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do it. Teacher, I'm sorry. And if you really, you know, put on that face, then they might really believe you. Because that really points to the major problem. You see, the major problem is that I wasn't sorry. I said it. I would seek to, to straighten up, to clean up my act a little bit, at least in front of those who had caught me. But I wasn't really sorry. But in cleaning up my act, of course, it looked like there was an outer obedience. There was this outer righteousness, this outer conformity to the law. But there was no inner obedience. There was no inner righteousness. There was no heart change. Most of the times I didn't 
care about what I did. I just cared that I got caught. Well, here, verse 20, Jesus is speaking about a heart change. He is speaking about an inner righteousness. It is a new heart righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. It is an inner righteousness that changes mind and motive from the inside out. It is one that bears real fruit, real love God, love neighbor fruit. Because on the outside, I can act like I love God. I can put on a show that I love you when inside there's no love at all. This is about a change from deep within that gets expressed outward. It's it's like the difference in real fruit in that fake fruit that you put on display in a bowl, on a table. You know, that stuff is hollow. There's nothing to it. You can crush it in your hands. There's no substance. But we're talking about a real fruit righteousness. Something that is weighty, something that is real. And this inner righteousness is a given righteousness. Not an earned righteousness. And God gives us this righteousness through faith in Jesus. Long ago, this righteousness was foretold by the prophets. Through Jeremiah, God said, I will put my law in them and write it on their hearts. Through Ezekiel, God said, I will give you a new heart. I will put my spirit in you and cause you to follow my decrees and keep my laws. And then fast forward, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3 writes, beginning in verse 20, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For all who look to Jesus, a new heart, a new righteousness, changed from the inside out. It is by God's grace the gift of His Spirit through faith in His Son, that we receive Christ's righteousness and then are enabled to live out that righteousness, are then enabled to live the life that we were created for, a life of freedom, life of freedom becoming more and more love God and love neighbor people. You see, we are called to nothing less than to be love God, love neighbor people, fully. And the problem is, we can't do it. In and of ourselves, we cannot make that happen, no matter how hard we try. I cannot love God, I cannot love you. But the good news is, Jesus can. God does this for us as we step out in faith seeking to follow him and trusting obedience. 
As we truly encounter the Ten Commandments, they will always expose our inability to be love God, love neighbor people. They will always expose that we can't do it. But they will also always point us to Jesus who has accomplished the law for us. And they will always guide us in holy living. Living the life we were created to live, a life of freedom. You see, God uses the Ten Commandments in the process of renewing our whole person in the image of Jesus as we become more and more dead to sin and more and more alive to righteousness, to right living, to right relating. You see, there is real hope for us today. Real hope as we learn to live this new life in Christ Do you feel defeated? Are there places in your life where you just, you just feel in bondage? You can't get over the hump. Whatever it is, there is real hope. Now, I'm not saying it's instant change. But through faith in Jesus, there is a new righteousness that works it, its way out into our lives. The way that we live, the way that we relate to one another. The way that we relate to ourselves the way that we relate to God. There is real hope for your doubts about God and about whether or not he is good and loving. There's real hope for your lack of trust in him to provide for your every need. There's real hope for the perfectionism that enslaves you. There is real hope for your broken relationships with parents, with children, with siblings, with friends, neighbors, colleagues, there is real hope. There's hope for your violent anger that is killing you and those close to you. For the racism that discolors everyone you see. There is real hope for your pornography addiction. For your marriage that is falling apart. For your destructive patterns of manipulation and control, for your grasping for something to soothe, to satisfy, to save. There is real hope in Jesus. Real hope for us as we learn to live this life of freedom, as we grow more and more into the image of Jesus, looking like him, a life marked by trusting obedience. As another pastor puts it, the gospel frees us from our self-concern and turns us outward. We see that God's law is not constraining but freeing. It's a law of liberty, as James puts it, a law that points us to Jesus. In and of ourselves, we are unable to do what the law commands us to do. But Jesus did it for us. And because he lives in us by his spirit, we are enabled to do it. And not from obligation, but from delight. You see, every command in scripture points us to our own inadequacy, magnifies the good and holy nature of God, and causes us to look to Jesus, the one who forgives our disobedience and enables our obedience. 
In other words, the law drives us to Jesus, and Jesus frees us to obey the law. Friends, our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in him and in him alone. Faith in him day in and day out. Repentance, turning from that which has a grasp on us and turning to him for freedom. That we would be rescued. That we would know his rescue. That we would know the salvation that is already ours through the finished work of Christ on the cross. He has accomplished the law for us. And now joined to him by faith, he accomplishes the law through us. By his spirit, we can learn, we really can learn, lives that are characterized more and more by loving God and loving others. Yes, we will stumble and fall along the way. No doubt about it. We will stumble and fall. But we can get up rejoicing in the cross of Christ. Rejoicing that God has looked on him and pardoned us. And we can rejoice too that we really are becoming more and more love God and love neighbor people. That we are growing in grace. That we are learning true freedom. That we are living more and more the life we were created for. Again, Jesus is the one who forgives our disobedience and enables our obedience. The law drives us to Jesus, and Jesus frees us to obey the law. And that is a life of true freedom. Let's pray.